and managing editor and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Uh, it's a different start time. It's a special start time today, but it is around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so you guys know what time it is on a Sunday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Let's get right to it. Um, first of all, we changed the start time of the show to 2 o'clock today because we are expected to be joined by Sam Gordon of the Las Vegas Review Journal. We shall see if if this is still going to take place. Uh, busy morning, busy weekend, busy week. Hell, a busy month uh, for everybody covering sports in, in the city of, of Las Vegas. And we're actually going to get to that shortly. Uh, and then I had technical difficulties beforehand, just kind of – I shouldn't even say technical difficulties. I had uh, – just to kind of go over a couple of things two and three times since it was just myself in the studio. Shout out to our Florida man, fact checker. Shout out to our producer, Salim Dweck, uh, who isn't on the show today. Uh, I think you could probably count the handful of times that Celine hasn't been on the show. But we're going to get right into it. The only way that we know how, my mom's tip in, of course, is going to start us off. Limitations live only in our minds. But if we use our imaginations, our possibilities become limitless. I'll say that one more time. Limitations live only in our mind. But if we use our imaginations, our possibilities become limitless. So we thank her for sending us that, and we're going to get right to it. We're going to get right to it. Uh, so much, so much to get into, and we're going we're gonna to wrestle some, some uh, local news into this first hour in addition to the second hour, and I'm going to start with bad news uh, in the professional ranks. And I believe I literally just mentioned it last show, which would be Wednesday. And guys, if you've ever heard a person do a radio show by himself, or by themselves, I should say, it's a lot of fact giving, it's a lot of commentary. You literally have to be the A and B mic. So bear with me here. I believe I just mentioned this on Wednesday that Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves, similar to Fernando Tatis, was good for baseball. I tweeted yesterday that baseball took a devastating loss with the Ronald Acuna injury. And what I mean by that is he suffered a torn ACL while trying to make a catch in the outfield. So, as mentioned before, for a couple of years now, if you asked me my favorite player to watch, that answer is Ronald Acuna Jr., this season in 83 games played, he has a batting average of 283, 24 home runs, and 52 RBIs. 
In addition, he leads the team with a 596 slugging percentage, and he also leads the team with 177 total bases. We always talk about baseball purists and things of that nature. These young stars are what are where rather. It's where the, the game is trending. So to the people who found out about Ronald Acuna Jr. last year in the NLCS. Or maybe they just found out about him this year. Now they have to wait to at least next year to see him again. That in and of itself is bad for baseball. This season, the Braves are 44-44, and 44, 500 record. They're second in the NL East. They're four games behind the New York Mets, who sit at 47-39. and 39. I don't know what this looks like in the future. I mentioned manager Brian Snicker. Brian Snicker has grown with the players on his team. Acuna included. Ozzy Albies included. With this team treading water at this present moment, I think the last thing that they could afford at any point, I guess you could say, is an injury to their star player. I would argue the heartbeat of their team. And a pretty thriving pulse for all of baseball. Speaking of baseball, I want to give you guys the exact numbers right now because last I checked, the Aviators are in the bottom of the fourth inning right now with an 8-1 advantage over the Reno Aces. Keep in mind, those are the first place Reno Aces in the Western Division of the AAA West. In case you haven't been following the Aviators season, let me give you guys a little bit of background on it. The Aviators have won back-to-back -back games at Reno by a score of 12-10 to 10 and 7-3 to 3 yesterday. Last night, I should say. The Aviators this season, I believe in one of the stories that uh, – is up on TalkThatTalkRadio.com is <laughs> the best word and the best way to describe the aviator season has been roller coaster. Like I've said before, from winning games 16 to 4 to losing games 21 to 16. to getting shut out one nothing to this game 2 days ago 
winning 12-10 against the first place Reno Aces. Tonight, the Aviators have hit three home runs. I should say today. Francisco Pena hit a two-run, or excuse me, three-run home run in the first inning to send the Aviators up 4 nothing after Cody Thomas had already singled home a run earlier. Greg Dykeman is the latest Las Vegas player to home run. And Marty Bacina is right in between. Now, especially if you've been covering this aviator season the way that we've been reporting it, the aviators, or excuse me, the aviator outfitter that I just mentioned last. Marty Bacina is a new name. So, earlier this year, Marty was at Double A Midland, the Midland Rockhounds. June 21st, he made his Triple A debut with the Las Vegas Aviators. Fast forward to now, Marty Bacina has homered in back-to-back games. He hit number two last night, or excuse me, he hit number one last night. And has already hit number two today. Now, we've talked about the Oakland farm system. We've talked about the Oakland front office. We've talked about it. Now, when you think of the Las Vegas Aviators as of late, you're going to find that a lot of the people that have had success have been called up to the big leagues. Jacob Wilson, the latest from this year's team. Again, the Aviators come into this game with a 28 and 29 record. They are still fourth place in the Western Division of the AAA West. They're a game and a half behind Salt Lake. The Bees of the of the Angels uh organization. And then they're two and a half games behind Tacoma, of course, of the Seattle organization. And lastly, the team that they're playing right now, the first place Reno Aces, they're eight games behind. But as I mentioned before, they're up 8-1 right now. The team has had some pretty strong pitching performances, some starting pitching performances. Brian Howard, Dalton Jeffries. And some real power-filled moments from a grand slam from Carlos Perez 
Cody Thomas hitting two in one game and the game-winning double. Still something to pay attention to, guys. Baseball is a long season. So, as I've mentioned before, I consider anything in terms of the fight game local news because we are here in the fight capital of the world, here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I don't believe I properly introed this either, so let me let me do this now. Talk That Talk radio show records twice weekly from the beautiful Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino from the largest super book in the world for over 50 years. This hotel was the largest hotel in the world for nearly a decade. If you guys want to be a part of this energy, and of course we are we shoot every time from the clubhouse here at the Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino, please come visit us at 3000 Paradise Road, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89109. Once again, that address is 3000 Paradise Road, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89109. And if you've ever been in this building for a fight night, It's unmatched. Last night's event at the T-Mobile Arena, last night's UFC 264, took place in front of a sold-out T-Mobile Arena for the first time since March of 2020. So, some 16 months ago was the last time that Dana White and the UFC sold out the T-Mobile Arena here in Las Vegas. Let's go over what they welcomed the Las Vegas fans back with. They did it with none other than Conor McGregor. And it was a chance to end a trilogy. One of his trilogies. With a lightweight contender, and this time it was Dustin Poirier. In case you have not heard, Conor McGregor suffered a fractured lower left leg at the end of the first round. And Dustin Poirier was deemed the winner by TKO via Dr. Stoppage. I don't even know where to start with this. Aside from, Dustin said that he checked the kick early in the round. And I went back this morning and watched the fight. There is a moment 
where Dustin Poirier does appear, and if and if he didn't check a kick, it does appear that he does that he, that he checks one. But let's say that he doesn't. Let's just say that Connor's kick landed in the wrong spot, and let's say it landed a little on the knee. In his post game, or I said post game, in his post fight interviews, I'm not sure which one it was. Maybe all of them. The diamond mentioned that he pointed at Connor, and he pointed at his leg. Now. That does happen. Maybe 15 or 20 seconds into the fight. Now, what I will say is it is very possible if Conor McGregor's adrenaline was rushing to the way that we believe that it was and that we saw that it was, especially post-fight. It's very possible that Conor didn't feel it in that moment. But evident by the end of the fight, it's inevitable that the... Let me not say that. Not a doctor. One would believe or can believe, or can surmise, however you want to slice it, that Connor's leg cracked in that moment. Now let's go here, as uncomfortable as it may seem. Uh, DC, Daniel Cormier, the Hall of Famer, the future Hall of Famer, mentioned it last night, that he believed, and he mentioned before, when Chris Wyman broke his leg a couple of weeks, or excuse me, months ago, that it was going to take him some time to get back. And he mentioned last night that Chris Weidman is already driving. And no disrespect to the legend that is Anderson Silva. We already know about the Hall of Fame record that Anderson Silva has. And maybe building in boxing. Joe Rogan mentioned that one could argue that Anderson Silva, after suffering his broken leg, that he was never the same, at least in mixed martial arts. Of course, age goes into that and things of that nature as well. However, let's go back to Chris Whiteman. One second. There we go. Got to get my pen. So let's go back to Chris Whiteman for a second. I recall Conor McGregor's tweets that night and saying that it looked like a wear and tear injury just from throwing the repetition of kicks, leg kicks and, and, and calf kicks specifically. And he mentioned that even if Chris Wyman was in practice and he threw that kick, 
that may have happened. I wonder if that's what we saw last night from Conor McGregor if we believe that it wasn't a checked leg kick or the kick didn't land in the wrong spot. I want to commend Conor for in the moment when it when he toward the end of the fight or well toward the end of the fight and the end of the first round Connor took a step to throw a cross, a left cross. And rolled on his left ankle. Now, we talk a lot about basketball, and we're going to do a lot of it today. You've seen the ankle roll before. And when it happens, you usually see the person lift off of it. Last night when Connor, Connor's leg or ankle rolled, the shin snapped. Following the fight, Connor said that he, speak, speaking with Joe Rogan, that he saw or I should say felt his legs separate. The reason why I said I want to commend Connor is because when Connor went down to the ground and he fell kind of flat on his butt, he initially grabbed his ankle, or his leg rather. And then it instantly went to cover up as Dustin Poirier rushed in for the finish. As he should. Dustin Poirier said after the fight that when he, when the round was over, when he stood up, he said he saw Connor's leg. I'm not sure exactly which term he used, but he saw Connor's leg looking a little deformed. He said as soon as he went to the corner, he said his corner told him, "Yeah, this one's over." From that moment on, things only got nastier. Conor McGregor made some pretty strong statements. Towards Dustin Poirier and his wife. Um, a lot of personal shots taken by Conor McGregor. And Dustin Poirier took time after the fight to, to highlight that trash talking is all fine in the sport. Except when Conor said that he was going to kill him in the cage. And according to Dustin Poirier, that's just not something that he plays with. He said that he prays going in every fight that both guys 
that he himself and whoever he enters the octagon with make it home safely to their families. And another thing that that stuck out going into the fight was Conor McGregor said that Dustin Poirier would leave on a stretcher. Conor McGregor left UFC 264 last night on a stretcher. Dustin Poirier said another thing that was interesting after the fight. He said that karma's not a bitch. She's a mirror. I want to pause there. Because I was speaking with my dad yesterday after the fight. And I told him. As interesting as it is for me to even think this, Conor McGregor's trash talk last night after the fight, to me, sounded significantly different than anything else that we've heard from him before. Now, in the past, Conor McGregor has said that he did all of his trash talk. He does all of his trash talking to get into the heads to into the heads of his opponent. Now, it may have been the break. It may have been the realization of yet another loss. But for the first time in his career that I've noticed, Conor McGregor appeared to use trash talk to get into his own head. While I do believe that he believes that the trilogy isn't over, Dustin Poirier even said it, the boss Dana White said it, I'm sure that majority of fans of fans are saying it. However, the trash talk was interesting to me last night because it seemed as if Conor McGregor may have been a Questioning it himself. Or B. Grasping at straws of being that superstar draw. I told my dad last night, there's no way that Dana White doesn't have Conor McGregor headline another event. However, how many more? if that continues to be the result. 
So I asked my dad, could that have been Conor McGregor? I guess grasping at straws is, is somewhat of a correct term. In terms of trying to ensure and solidify some more major paydays in the future. I also will say, you could argue the reasons why he did it, but to speak after the fight, <laughs> and Dustin Poirier, I'm sure, would argue that he needs to speak after the fight, considering that he was speaking while Con while Dustin was in the winner's circle speaking. So I still do want to commend Conor McGregor on speaking after such a tough break like that. Uh For what it's worth, as much as I would like to say those are the raw emotions that we saw last night, because that's exactly what we saw. We've seen Connor say some of those remarks or remarks like that under different circumstances. So... Last night, it was difficult for me, I don't know about everybody else, to watch him try to conduct the interview as, I'm not going to say playing, but Conor McGregor sat there afterwards, after the, the, the fight was called off, and he kept kind of rolling his ankle to the outside to see if the bone would keep protruding the skin. I'm not sure how anybody does any type of media when experiencing that. That doesn't excuse what he said. But Daniel Cormier said it precisely after the after the pay-per-view. These guys are savages. A lot more to get to from the from the event. Uh, Gilbert Burns' best Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and that was the headline that I gave it for uh, my recap of it and to be honest with you Dana White spoke about it last night during the press conference and he during the post fight press conference and he said that every fight was notable for him except for the co-main event Gilbert Burns mentioned after the fight that every fight is difficult and essentially sometimes you have to do what you have to do Gilbert Burns is not the first UFC fighter that we've ever heard say that not the first fighter in general it's a chess match more than anything One of the hardest, and the word I keep hearing is puzzle, one of the hardest puzzles one of the hardest puzzles that
is in mixed martial arts, I was going to say the UFC and all of mixed martial arts, is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And while I agree with Dana White that it wasn't the most exciting fight to watch, there's something about, as you guys hear people going crazy right now, It's something about soccer and soccer fans. It's just, it's, I, I've told you guys about the energy already here at, at the Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino. If you want to be a part of it, again, we are located at 3000 Paradise Road, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89109. And to, to be honest with you guys, I think the storyline was stalemating Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. How many times have we seen it? Now, we saw Tyron Woodley have a great game plan for, for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And Dana had a kind of a similar uh, approach to it, if I recall correctly. I could be wrong. Forgive me if I am. However, when trying to figure out how to solve Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Sometimes it seems, it appears that the answer is don't let him get off. That's exactly what happened last night with Gilbert Burns. A couple of moments that I think that we'll we'll remember forever in terms of of endings of a round, kind of them just pressed against the gate, just literally letting hooks, short hooks fly. And I say that if you're a, a a true mixed martial arts fan only because you could think of another another couple of fights that 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 took place in Joe Rogan mentioned one it's and and actually I want to bring you guys some news really quick because Jose Altuve just hit a walk-off home run in Houston against the New York Yankees and as rounding the first of all, we love sports. As rounding the bases, or while rounding the bases, as soon as he gets home, all of his teammates rip off his jersey and his shirt under it. Jose Altuve hit that two run home run while the Yankees were leading seven to six. Again, that was in Houston. And that is a response to yesterday, Aaron Judge hitting a home run, and as he crossed home plate, kind of tugging at his jersey. Which, of course, was a reminder back to when the Houston Astros got busted for cheating. And after hitting a walk-off home run against the Yankees in Houston, while rounding the bases and crossing home plate, Jose Altuve was letting his teammates know not to rip off his jersey. People have been questioning since, what are you? What were you hiding under there? 
Aaron Judge responded yesterday. He's responded multiple times, but he responded again yesterday. And then Altuve responds again today. That was an amazing catch by this Brewers fan right here. That catch is in Milwaukee while the Cincinnati Reds lead 3-1 to one against the Brewers. Great catch. I'm sure you guys are going to see that on ESPN or Sports Center and or Sports Center tonight. Trust me. Even if it's not on the Sports Center top 10, you probably are going to see that somewhere. Now, to get to a couple of other things from the show, Sean O'Malley continued to be the sugar show. And I know he hates it, but it's kind of hard when you're a fighter and your nickname is sugar, especially if your first name starts with a sh of any sort. People tend to go to Sugar Shane a lot. But <laughs> he said he wants to be remembered and hopefully create enough memories to where people can remember that he's Sugar Sean. So that's exactly who we saw last night. I'm not sure if we saw Sean O'Malley, but we definitely saw Sugar Sean against Chris Mutino who made his UFC debut on 11 days' notice and got a fight of the night bonus. I also just want to highlight that Nico Price and Michelle Pajeda could have very well been fight of the night. I had that as fight of the night on my card. I don't get paid to make the decisions, just so you guys know. And in case you guys are wondering why the – Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino just went crazy. It's because Italy just defeated England. So I told you guys about soccer fans in general. Italy wins and wins and becomes the Euro 2020 champions. The winners of the European Championship is Italy, are Italy. I said winners, right? Winners are Italy. And I'm sure as I watch people line up here in the Westgate Las Vegas Resort Casino, I'm pretty sure that the casino in the book has some money to dish out. That's what it looks like. It's looking like they got some money to shell out. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Now, Chris Mutino absorbed a lot of damage, a lot of damage in that fight. Sugar Sean O'Malley, as he often does, unless he's, he's hampered with an injury, Hell, even sometimes when he is. He continues to put on a show. 
he always says, welcome to the sugar show. There's a certain bravado that comes with Sugar Sean O'Malley, and I know everybody doesn't like it in terms of believing that he can finish fights. Last night, Sean O'Malley was mentioning that he just never got to finishing him. And that's where the stoppage comes in. Now, I thought about it in the moment, but to everybody that said that DC was one of them. I believe Joe Rogan might have been one as well. Who both stated that they didn't like Herb Dean's stoppage of the fight as it was maybe 30, 20 to 30 seconds from, from being over anyway in the third and final round. I've listened to Herb Dean on Joe Rogan's podcast before. Herb Dean is the ultimate, you brought me here to do my job, right? You want me to do my job, right? Okay, then let me do my job. I have no problem with the stoppage last night. If anybody is saying that let him finish the last 20 to 30 seconds, while I understand from a fighter's perspective, or I can understand from a, from a fighter's perspective, it's the referee's job to save the participants. Sugar Sean O'Malley once again was getting into a comfort level that was getting scary. He was beginning to piece him up. The hand speed was getting faster. I know that he had moments where it looked like he was battling with some fatigue. And maybe that's because he exerted a lot of injury in that first inning, first inning, in that first round, trying to get the finish. So... It's not hard for me to see that when it comes to combat sports, and and Salim asked this question a while back, will there ever be a time when mixed martial arts and or boxing is just outlawed? And I told him no. Aside from the moneymaker that it is, let's be honest. John Anik said it last night that as somebody who's covered a boxing death, I myself have covered a, bo a boxing death. Rest in peace to Maxim Dadashev. For me, nothing beats the life aspect. 
the morality aspect. He took a lot of damage. Chris Mutino took a lot of damage, so I won't hypothesize and say what could have happened. But at the end of the day, Herb Dean was acting it from a place of saving someone. And I'm not going to say that he made the wrong decision in doing that. A couple other things that I want to get to really quick. Two things from the early prelims. And this just goes to show how deep this, this, this fight card was in terms of the prelims, the early prelims, things of that nature. I guess I'll start here. Brad Tavares. Returned to the UFC after injury with a win over Omari Akhmedov. Now, if you go back and watch that fight, he even admitted to it that that first round wasn't ideal. It wasn't what he envisioned. It wasn't what he pictured. However, in a weird way, one could expect that. With the ring rust, or octagon rust, you can argue. Now, you guys know I don't have Salim here with me today. So now I have to go back and, and double and triple check things. But... Brad Tavares came off of that injury in January and had a unanimous decision win over Antonio Carlos Jr. Before that, Brad hadn't fought since 2019, November of 2019 to be specific. So now he's logged two Fight since returning from injury. Both wins. The win takes him to 19 and 6 as a professional fighter. He's battle tested with 12 fights going to decision. Last night with Brad Severs and Amariak Medoff, I think. It was a different level of adversity that you saw Brad Tavares in. And his last two losses come to Edmund Shabazian and, of course, the middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya, during the Ultimate Fighter. And I'm here in the clubhouse, and, we, of course, we have these TVs on, and we're just watching. And Rashad Evans... Kodak moment of the knockout of Chuck Liddell just just played here in the clubhouse. So I mentioned ring rust and, and layoff before and things of that nature. When returning from injury, we, we talk about sports, right? 
and the fight game is considered a sport. You think about basketball, baseball, football, things of that nature. Football is pretty difficult to do it, right? Combat sports is similar to football in that sense. You get basketball games every two days, every three days maybe. Every other day, right? Baseball, you get games every day. You have the minor leagues. There's no way to replicate. And I've heard fighters talk about it all the time in terms of training. There's no way to replicate a fight. You can bring in whoever you want. There's no way to replicate it. That's why I think I was pleasantly surprised to see how Brad Tavares dealt with the difficult opponent of Amari Akhmedov. And was able to not only make something of it, but get a win out of it. And lastly, I want to talk about this. And all of these kind of, <laughs> at this point, I feel like they just merged together for me. And I need to make sure that I, I tighten this up. The flyweight champion, the women's flyweight champion, Valentina Shevchenko, has essentially beat everybody in the division. And the funny thing is, you could probably fact check that. She may have. So last night, two women that have competed for the flyweight championship in Jennifer Maya and Jessica I competed prior to the main card. And it was a fight that even going into it, Daniel Cormier, John Anik, and Joe Rogan spoke about it and said, well, this is an interesting fight because even if you win, where do you go from here? Now, Jennifer Maya, first of all, Jessica I is a dog that walks forward. That's period. If you look at Jessica I fight, I know a lot of people know her for the for the the getting knocked out by a devastating head kick by the champion, Valentina Shevchenko, she was moving forward then. How many people are going to move forward on Valentina Shevchenko? So that's exactly what happened in this one. Jessica I continued to push the pace, continued to push forward, and ended up getting a, a deep gash so large in her forehead that it required 13 stitches. I believe Daniel Cormier said that it resembled a quarter slot. Tough as nails, blood dripping down her face. Jessica I and Jennifer Maya continue to go at it and battle it out. Jennifer Maya edged Jessica I in the end. And after the fight, they mentioned... If she felt like that was next on the, on the horizon for her, another championship shot with Valentina Shevchenko. 
Jennifer Maya pointed to something that was very factual and indeed interesting. She said, considering that she's the only contender that took Valentina Shevchenko the full five rounds, she feels like only one more fight, or only that one fight against Jessica I should get her back into title contention. I can't say that I disagree. However, <clears throat> the word that Joe Rogan uses to explain Valentina Shevchenko is inevitable. I don't know that there's a way to beat inevitable. Hour number two of Talk That Talk here in the beautiful Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to actually wait until Sam Gordon gets here. We already got the text message saying that he was on our way, or on the way, rather. And he's already... Well, I shouldn't say he's already been, because we don't, we don't do too much briefing here, depending on who you are. And he already should know what's coming up. I'll give him a chance to speak about the uh, about the Aces, if he so chooses. And then we're going to get into some Team USA uh, commentary for multiple reasons. Um, so much to get to. So much to get to in the world of that. Uh Actually, I take that back. He is going to talk aces when we get back in the second hour. He's going to talk Team USA with us. And, of course, when we start this second hour, we're going to continue with the trend of local news. And we're going to give you guys a little bit more in terms of combat sports. And we're going to discuss the latest development in Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder 3. We'll give you guys that breakdown when Sam Gordon does arrive here in the beautiful at the beautiful Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino to give you guys an update on the Aviators. Eleven to one. That is an eleven to one score in the top of the sixth inning. In that sixth inning already. In this sixth inning already, I should say. Neymandu has already scored one on a single. Cody Thomas. Drove in Greg Dykeman on a double. And Francisco Pena, who's already homered tonight, singled on a line drive to score Nate Mondu. Cody Thomas is currently on third. The Aviators are up 11-1. We're coming back with hour number two. Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Minnesota's own, will be here. Stay tuned, guys. Hour number two of Talk That Talk, coming right up. Talk That Talk radio show records twice weekly from the beautiful Westgate, Las Vegas Resort and Casino, from the largest superbook in the world for over 50 years. This hotel was formerly the largest hotel in the world for nearly a decade. If you guys want to be a part of this energy, please come join us at 3000 Paradise Road, Las Vegas, Nevada. Once again, that address is 3000 Paradise Road, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89109. What's going on with you, Mr. Gordon? What's up? What's up, Sir Shatterbox? How you doing, man? Pretty good, man. Can't complain. So once again, as promised, guys, in hour number one, we are joined by 
Sam Gordon of the Las Vegas Review Journal. And you guys already know where I'm taking it next. <laughs> Minnesota's very own <laughs> Sam Gordon. You know what? Today, man. Yeah, I see that. And I see the WBC on the hat. This is I bleed for this. You you know what's about to happen. So you already know which energy you're walking into okay. right now. I'm going to let you know kind of what the first hour was. Oh, break and it down for me. Matter of fact, let me make sure I got my phone too because, Dad, I didn't get to your tip in, and I think this is the perfect time to actually do it because the first hour I went over uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. tearing his ACL. Devastating. Uh, I think I actually tweeted it yesterday and said that that was, that was a loss for all of One baseball. of the brightest young stars in the league, no doubt. And – in addition to doing that, I kind of, of course, tied in some local news with it, and I told everybody that the Aviators at the time were up 8-1 to one on the first place Reno Aces. Guys, that lead has only grown. The lead is now 13-1 to one for the Aviators. Batting the practice out the there. Six. That's batting practice. <laughs> this is something that this team hasn't necessarily had uh, this year, let alone against the first place team in the division. But it's looking, it's looking good up there, uh, up north right now for the Aviators. And after that, I hopped right into UFC 264. Mm. And once I talked about UFC 264, uh, I went ahead and broke down, of course, the, the main event, the co-main event. I uh, broke down Sugar Sean O'Malley, uh, Jennifer Maya and Jessica I, and then Brad Tavares and Omari Akhmedov. So this is the perfect time before I s- transition away from the mixed martial arts half of, of combat sports and we get to boxing. My dad's tip-in is, once again, another night of great MMA. After watching, I got to thinking about, or excuse me, I got to thinking that it takes a special person to be willing to be in the sport that you will inevitably, inevitably, that, 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 inevitably. Did I just stumble again? No, you got it. I was about to say, I don't know why it sounds weird. Maybe because I'm looking at it, too. Uh, Inevitably, you'll get hit. He said, I don't care how good your defense is. Some blows are going to find their mark. I didn't mention Tai Tuivasa and Greg Hardy as well. Worst case scenario, if it's a good shot and you go down, here comes the hammer shot. <laughs> we saw elbows and hammer fists last night that were just like, fam, who's withstanding that? Who's doing that? Not something I would volunteer for. Not even mentioning McGregor's horrific injury which I don't think it would have made a difference last night, was Poirier's night. A true champion has to have heart, but when we see the likes of Nate Diaz, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, an unbelievable, and of course an unbelievable performance by Chris Moutinho that I did mention, uh, who have stood an ass-whooping from Sean O'Malley, and unlike Greg Hardy, he stayed upright and didn't back up one inch. Just like O'Malley stated in his post-fight interview, I think the stoppage saved some brain cells and added a few, few years onto Moutinho's life. These fighters have the hearts of warriors, but in the long run, most of them pay for it in the years down the line. Just saying a prayer for the well-being of these gladiators who entertain us week in and week out. God bless. Man. Nailed it. I'm telling you, man. Nailed I tell this man all the time, he should have been a writer. Yeah, but he man. doesn't want to. Hey. He doesn't want any part of it. You picked up the pen on his behalf. Most definitely yeah, I did. You feel me? And, and one of the things that I always get back to, and I'll tell this quick story really quick, uh, my dad my mom mainly, it wasn't even my dad really. My mom mainly wanted me to get rid of all like my papers, like all my notebooks, all my files, all my stats. And for what it's worth, I was in middle school and it was it was everywhere. Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I admit that. So once I got kind of the ninth grade, I kinda had them in like different crates and stuff. And they still kind of were unorganized. 
And my mom was like, nah, you're in high school now. This is it. Like, they got to go. And that was the first time in my life that I kind of told my mom, I was like, yeah, nah. <laughs> and she was like, what is it about it? And I told her, I was like, I honestly, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. I don't know why I do it. And, I, and it got to a point where I was uncomfortable. I was like, I really don't have an answer for you. Fast forward, I met Danielle Paul at Westchester High School. She told me about high school sports, and I was like, well, I can do this for real. Like, wait a minute, hold on. I'm at home playing games at NBA Live, writing <laughs> down what happened, and I'm like, so I don't have to do that is what you're telling me? And in doing that, of course, my mom – Kind of saw where I was going in that turn, in that sense. Started buying me file cabinets, started buying me manila folders, started kind of helping me file my stuff. And uh, I want to say right after high school, shout out to my dad's mom, shout out to Nana. Um, she used to keep on my dad's drawing books. Yeah. And in one of his drawing books, I'm looking at numbers, and I'm like, what the hell is this? And my dad was breaking down the Olympic. And it was the Olympic that Sweet Pea won the gold medal. Hmm. And rest I can't think of which year. And he's going to text me, rest in peace. And I'm sure he's going to text me which year it was. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to him and said, it's you. I was like, you were willing to let her throw away all my stuff and I get it from you. <laughs> like, that was really a problem for me. Yeah. So I absolutely did pick up the pen, fam. You picked up the pen. So let's, let's, let's help him out a little bit and talk some boxing because I got some unfortunate news this Earlier this month, and if I got the unfortunate news, I know you were devastated by it. Talk to me. Three positive COVID tests in champion Tyson Fury's camp. A couple days after that, we, it revealed that he was one of the, the positive COVID tests. Yeah. That means they're not fighting on July 24th. Man, July 24th was going to be a movie in Vegas, right? We saw – you feel the momentum picking up here. right? You feel it. You saw it last night. Two, two, 264, you got the concert down the street. Oh my you gosh. have USA Basketball at Michelob Ultra Arena. There is a lot going on in this city. And you're going to have a, a, a marquee heavyweight title fight at T-Mobile Arena on the 24th. And now we're looking at October. It's devastating. It's, it's devastating for the sport of boxing. It holds the heavyweight division up again. And, we, we, I mean, we've been supposed to have an undisputed title fight between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. That was supposed to happen. I mean, we've wanted that as boxing fans, as boxing media for years. Right. I mean, and the fact that we're, we're still stuck on this trilogy, and don't get me wrong, Deontay Wilder won the right to his trilogy in court, arbitration. He deserves his trilogy. He's going to get his trilogy. But how do, you, how, how do you imagine he feels? He's been training, you know, he's been gearing up for this for a year and a half. Exactly. Now you got to wait two more months? And that's where I, let, let's stay there because that was my next question to you. If you're Deontay Wilder, if you're in this camp, you're for obviously arguing this is better for you, this is better for you. If you're Deontay Wilder, do you believe that this is better for I'm you? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, now you got to spend another 10 weeks. He's already been training. I'm sure he's already been in camp for – well over a month, maybe two months, and now you're going to have to extend your camp. You're going to take a little bit of a break. It just it, – it, it, it throws the whole thing off. And now it, it just kind of throws a whole wrench in the heavyweight division. And, look, it's very unfortunate. Obviously, our wishes go out to – our well wishes go out to Tyson Fury and his Absolutely. camp. We, we, we want to make sure everybody's healthy. And, and it goes to show you that the virus is still a very, very serious thing. Everybody – I mean, vaccines are important. Let's, let's take care of that, right? Um, but it, it, it's, it just feels like this rivalry between these two guys – the bow hasn't been put on it yet. It's taking such a long time, and it's holding up the heavyweight division, and that's one less marquee event this summer that we were all looking forward to. 
Yeah, and now we're gonna push it back to fall and probably winter. You, you mentioned October, so yeah, yeah. But most likely, I think they're looking at the second weekend in October. There's some booking. Atlantis Morris is having a concert on October second at T-Mobile Arena, so October 9th looks like a prospective date. But you're competing with so much more stuff because exactly. at that point in the year, you got college football on Saturdays. Got the you got the NFL coming back. You're you're right. Baseball postseason is going to be going on. And then you're right around the corner from the start of the NBA season. So, Very true. So while you were going to have this showcase weekend, July 24th, you still might. There's still going to be opportunities to cross-promote this fight. You know, between on Fox, Fox is going to use its platforms to promote this fight during football games and whatnot. But I just don't think it's going to have – I mean, we'll see. But it was set to be the showcase, one of the marquee events, not only in Vegas but of the summer in general – and it's not happening right now. So that's that's what it is, man. It's a very unfortunate situation. And COVID, you just mentioned right now, and I think I even kind of wrote it on, on my notes. And I, I wrote COVID outbreak number two because that's what it's looking like. It's Yeah, it's especially here with all the moving parts, with all, with all the traveling, with everything being back to capacity. You know what I'm saying? There's The numbers are, are jumping right. in Vegas. I mean, that's, there's no there's no denying that. And uh, – it's, we have to still take this seriously. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, like the, the, if this fight isn't a warning, I don't know what else is. Hmm. And if you mentioned warning, and <laughs> that one, that takes me back to my original point. When I said number two, I kind of looked away, and I kind of started peering in the, in the direction of, of Brady and, and LeBron, and I started thinking, and I was like, this is more than two. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, like, a warning sign and things of that nature and things that you kind of can't get in front of. I don't know why we didn't anticipate it before, but this team USA or this this national team uh, for the USA already is is coming into camp without three players. Well, yeah, and you're coming into camp without Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Devin Booker, who are all participating in the NBA Finals. The last thing you could afford to happen was five select players go down with with COVID related man, protocol. Man, right? It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough situation. It's a weird year. It's still a weird year. Yeah, we're getting back to quote-unquote normal. There's progress there, but we, we still see how this virus is affecting sports. And you mentioned USA Basketball. No fans at the Olympics in Tokyo. They're, 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 that ruling was announced a few days ago. There's not going to be any fans. So you're an Olympic athlete. You train and you prepare your whole life for this one event, this one moment. You want to be able to have your glory in front of the tens of thousands of people in person. It's not going to be the case. So. Right. We'll see what happens. We just got to make sure we do we do our individual part. I mean, the heavyweight champion of the world is not immune to the coronavirus. Absolutely. He's not. I mean, we saw that, and that's going to play out in October, and it's going to be what it is. But uh, we we got to we got to make sure we we do our thing and stay safe. And and kind of speaking with that, you were well as you often are. Um, we 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 cross paths a lot in yeah. the field. Cross paths. And uh, USA basketball is another one of those places where we've done it. And let's talk about how some of those players are kind of dealing with that. Um, if I didn't love Bradley Bill before, it's impossible not to love him now after you talk to him. And one of the things that I'm mentioning or why I'm mentioning this now is because Bradley Bill already, for most people who watch the NBA, if you're not a casual fan, um, you know that there's a chip on Bradley Bill's shoulder. Yeah. He almost similar to Dame Lillard. I'm not leaving Washington. Either I win here or I don't win. And Bradley Bill worked so hard to obviously get get his first Olympic shot now. And he was speaking about wanting to be in the environment 
where everybody's against you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In you don't see sense. very many people that want that. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. But you got what he asked for. You know what I'm saying? I mean, th- we saw it last night, man. Like, t- when you, especially when basketball, you have that USA on your chest, you're a target, period. Doesn't matter what the team's looking like, who's on the team, who's not playing, who's still in the NBA finals, how many days of practice they have. You have a target on your chest. And it sounds super cliche. And Greg Popovich even talked about that last night. It is cliche. But cliches, in this case, this is a cliche for a reason. Mm. And as much talent as that USA team has, I know it's only an exhibition, but the rest of the world is good at basketball too. Talk about it. So let, let's describe what happened really quick. And, you know, but let's, before we go there, before we even get to the exhibition game last night, me and my dad, we, we were talking last night, and I told him the fun thing about doing what I do is I've taken debate classes, multiple debate classes. So a lot of these sports take – a lot of these sports takes, I can argue either side. And my dad said something about the dream team. And I was like, yeah, no doubt. Like, but the way he was talking, you just, you know how generations go. Yeah. And I told him, I was like, all right, relax. Cause like, you're going to make me say something about the dream team. That sounds like I'm hating. And it's almost impossible to hate on him. And he was like, no, you can't hate on him. And I was like, see, that's where you're wrong. And he was like, let's talk about it. I said, all right, cool. I said, you didn't have Charles Barkley going down to the Philippines showing everybody his moves. Yeah. I said, you didn't have – you had teams where if you're playing Croatia – like I said, I told my dad for whatever it's worth, the best international player at that time ended up a Chicago Bull. What does that tell you? So I told my dad for what it's worth, competition level is not the same. Not so even, well, you can tell close. me 80-point 80, 80 wins. That's great. Not what we're talking about now. And in that sense, I said, Dad, just do me one quick favor. How many NBA players do you think are on Team Nigeria? I said, it's 12, I said, it's 12 spots. How many do you think are, are NBA players? Which and he sat there and was like, I have no clue. I said, give me the number that you won't pass. He couldn't give me a number. I said, I bet you the number wasn't 10. No, <laughs> it certainly wasn't. And now that number's up to seven, right? That's up to seven. And Nigeria doesn't isn't – it doesn't have the richest history in basketball, but they're building something. Hey, they are building a program. You got Mike Brown in the fold. You have NBA players that are committed. You have former UNLV runner Rebel Ike Nwamu. I'm waiting who for did it. his thing yesterday. One of the greatest players in Nigerian history, a league career leader in points. It's going to be his second Olympic Games. So it's funny you bring up the Dream Team because I think the Dream Team deserves a lot of credit for helping to globalize the game. That's definitely what they did. But Absolutely. but the consequences of that are. And these are great consequences. The rest of the world is better. Everybody's better. You look at these rosters, even in these exhibition games, Australia's got several NBA players. Argentina, we know they won the gold medal in 2004. That's a team with a rich history. We know about Spain, right? I I mentioned, I told my dad in 2019, and I'm not sure if if we did USA coverage in 2019 because me and Ivy had so much going on. But in 2019, when we talked about the FIBA World Cup, I kept mentioning Serbia. And I mentioned that on the phone with my dad last night, and I said, do you know why I mentioned Serbia? And he was like, no, why? I said, because they have the MVP of the league now. I said, these are the things that if you're following trends, the rest of the world is getting better. I said, do you know that Luka's playing for Slovenia 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 made the Olympics. I told my dad, if we run into Slovenia. With Luka on the squad, they're going to have an opportunity to get this thing done. He's a top five player in the world. You look at the top 10, top 20 players in the NBA right now, a lot of them – we're not aren't from the United States. Hmm. 
They're not, I mean, we could go on and on. Luka, Giannis. Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Right? That's four. Right That's here. four off tops. That's four off the top of the dome. That ain't nothing. If we sit here and think about it, the rest of the world is getting really, 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 really good. It's getting really, really, really good. So let's talk about what we saw last night. I yeah. mean, for what it's worth, it was a, a 90 to 87 win for Team Nigeria, uh, the Tigers, over Team USA. And I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm a Debbie Downer by no means because I'm about to give them a lot of credit. But if your Team USA, I know Coach Pop went in there and he, he got into the team. I'm pretty sure oh, – I shouldn't say pretty sure. I don't know Coach Pop like that. But I would assume at the end of it, Coach Pop also looked at them and said, I don't know how many more times teams are going to hit 23s. Well, that's definitely part of it, right? And you, first and foremost, Pop talked after the game, paid nothing but proper to, to Nigeria, right? Nigeria played better than Team USA. But there's some context here. And don't get me wrong. This is a huge upset. United States was favored by 30 and a half points. You look at their oh roster, the, the, the wealth of talent on their roster. It shouldn't have happened, period. It should not have happened, period. But let's add some context. Nigeria's been practicing three weeks. Team USA has been practicing for four days. Doesn't make it an excuse because I think the Americans clearly kind of overlooked this Nigerian team. Uh, but that just goes to show you that the flavor of international basketball is a little different. A lot of – and Popovich talked about this after the game last night too. A lot of what America was doing, what the United States was doing, what do they have? A lot of great isolation scores. What were they doing? Trying to score in isolation. Mm -hmm. Ball was moving for Nigeria. They were screening, passing, cutting for one another. They were cool – Running down the shot clock, long possessions. They were physical. They were the more physical team. They were better on the glass. And as the game rolled on, you know, getting in the middle of the third quarter, late in the third quarter, Nigeria's not going away. You're starting to think this can happen. Absolutely. This can happen. And, and man, being there last night, I was there. Absolutely. Had the privilege to cover it. The groans from the crowd. Every U.S. miss, the crowd will get louder and louder. And that was a restless crowd, man. Hmm. It was a restless, restless crowd. They did and they not never show... could fully get to where they wanted to. No, get to. no, no. And finally, I, I think one of the issues this team's having, and I think it's going to naturally sort itself out with more practice, with the exhibition schedule, and the more more time this team has together. But all these dudes are alphas on their te respective teams. All of them, right? In, in some way, shape, or form, they are the go-to guy, the go-to scorer. And I, I think what what you saw last night is. Too much your turn, my turn. Not no, there, uh, that natural hierarchy hasn't really established itself. It kind of did late in the game because everybody knew when it's time for the bread to be buttered, right. you give the ball to the easy money sniper and you let right. him go to work. And he nearly brought him back. But beyond that, where is the flow? Who? Right. Who? What are the responsibilities? What are the roles? So it's going to take a little bit of time. But but best believe, man. Like Team USA is on notice. They're they're going to they're going to take that. They took that thing ex that loss extremely seriously, and it can understand at any given time. With, the, with how good the rest of the world is, you're susceptible, especially in FIBA play. It's, it's a different – it's just a different style of game. And I think we definitely saw that with just some of the, the, the rebounding in last night's game. But you mentioned uh, KD. You mentioned the easy money sniper. It wasn't easy last night. 4 of 13 from the field, yeah. finished with 17 points. But if you watch the game, that I'm sure KD would tell you that was an ugly 17. Um, now, here's where I want to go with it. You mentioned that Nigeria has been, have been practicing for three weeks, Team USA four days. Something that I've been covering, and, and I believe I asked Coach Pop a couple of days ago, I told Coach Pop it was over 20 years ago that he hired Mike Brown in San Antonio as an assistant coach. Mm -hmm. And I told him, and this was obviously a couple of days ago, and I asked him, what was the difference between that Mike Brown then 
and the Mike Brown that was going to be standing across from him on Saturday night. Yeah. And he smiled and, and he said, first of all, I'm assuming his confidence. Yeah. He said, that's the first thing I'll say. And then, of course, he went to uh, the, him knowing how he is in terms of his humor and the type of person that he is and knowing that he's, he's taking on this opportunity uh, like a real challenge. Yeah. And that's exactly what we saw on Saturday night. And I kind of told I – did, I did this story and I told my dad about it. And I told him that the story was about Mike Brown's ties to Team USA. And it started with Pop. Yeah. And in doing that – I went into him moving on, going to Golden State, went into rings with Coach Kerr, who was on that Team USA staff. <laughs> and then I mentioned how Coach Kerr was coached by Coach Pop. He says somebody on this roster reminds him of him. That person, ironically, ends up being Draymond Green, who is his coach in the NBA now, which is Steve <coughs> Kerr. Mike Brown coached Draymond. It's all a web. Yeah. You add KD to that mix, it gets nastier. So it's like it's, it's, it's all there. Yeah. I told my dad, I don't know why everybody was so shocked on Saturday. Well, you, you to that point, man, you take a look at Mike Brown. He knows all these guys on, on Team USA. He's coached against them, game plans to game plan against them, coached some of them, scouted them, prepared for them. He's been, he, I mean, he's an NBA lifer. He's been doing this thing for a really long time. And, and then again, you you take a look at the makeup of Nigeria's roster with seven NBA players. They've seen all these guys. They're not intimidated. They've played against all these guys. They spend the whole year playing against these guys. And, 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 yeah, of course Team USA's players are better and more talented, but they're all there. They're all in the NBA. They're all right. there at that level. And you saw Gabe, Gabe Nabdi, known as Gabe Vincent with the Miami Heat. Yeah, my man, he plays for the Miami Heat. That's a, that's a championship team, championship culture and organization. He knows what winning looks like. Precious he know, Achua. He, he knows, exactly. Casey Opala. 100%. They, those guys know what it looks like. Absolutely. They know and, what, and they, they played with no fear. They knew they had nothing to lose, and they were fearless, and they played absolutely. like it. I told my dad last night, too, there's a difference because I remember the very first time that I was at Team USA or I was at uh, Team USA camp and I watched KD walk in the building. Yeah. I told him I felt it. I told him anytime LeBron walks in the building, whether he's hooping or not, you feel it. You feel it. it, for sure. I told my dad it's a little different when you felt it multiple times already. I've been in multiple rooms with KD now. I don't have that same awe factor. He's been in multiple rooms with you, playboy. Vice versa. <laughs> you You're right. <laughs> yeah, we got we got to hold that down. You guys came to UNLV, um, but but in all seriousness, um, Jason Tatum kind of addressed it after the game as well yep. in terms of the the hesitance from kind of everybody. Here's one person I want to bring up, and I think he's going to be valuable for this team. Zach Levine's first two shots go, and then Zach Levine looked like Zach Levine from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was putting them up. He was. That's that's what he's been doing his whole career. I don't know what coach told him. Maybe that was maybe that was the goal. But I think in that moment, there was multiple times that I could probably point out, but I was gonna ask Coach Pop after the game. Everybody kind of got to it. There was a ten point lead built in the second quarter that they cut to two. Yep. It was a nine point lead in the third quarter that they eventually ended up taking a the lead. They had moments where they created distance. Yeah. And then it disappeared. It what did you say? Not great shot selection. Ball wasn't moving the way it was supposed to. And Nigeria understood, look, one possession at a time. Like, let's get two points. Let's get three points here. Let's clean up the glass. We're going to be more physical. We're going to grab offensive rebounds, create extra possessions. And they stayed really, really patient. They didn't panic. There was a sense of calm. They, like, they were not intimidated in the slightest by Team USA. And I think, if anything, I'm not saying Team USA was intimidated. I don't, 
I don't know how the players felt. I, right. I can't automatically assume that. But I, I can tell you that they didn't expect to be in a, a war with Nigeria. They didn't expect to be in a close in – a, in a one in a losing late in the fourth quarter. 100%. I think they were a little shell-shocked by that. That's something you can't really expect. And, of course, Kevin Durant being the, the pro and the, vet, the veteran, being the guy who's been there and done that, the, the experienced Olympic gold medalist, he was able to weather that to a degree right. late in the fourth quarter. But it was too late by that point. You just touched on it right now. I mean, let's, let's talk about the guys on this roster that have had opportunities to do it. Chris Middleton, he's not here. Not here. Devin Booker. Not here. He's not here. Nope. Kevin Durant is there. Yep. Kevin DeLove. Ke- I said Kevin DeLove. Kevin Love played in spotty minutes. Yeah. I, Draymond I, I, Green is there. Yeah. Those are the only three guys with Olympic experience on the team. Everybody else isn't. Brand new. So, one thing that I'm, I think I'm going to leave it here with this one, uh, another thing from Mike Brown. I watched this this morning, and I kind of caught it on the flyby while I was getting ready for the show. And – there was a play that is so interesting. I can't think of the name of it, and it's going to drive me insane. But it was a three-pointer that was made with about two minutes left in the fourth quarter uh, to extend the lead for Nigeria. It was a, a corner three. Yeah. And that exact play, I don't – and I would never say that Coach Pop didn't realize it in the moment, but I wonder if Coach Pop realized that that play looked familiar. And – what was so interesting was I watched the play and I watched some of the highlights of them running it in San Antonio through Tim Duncan. And for that to essentially be the nail in Team USA's coffin, that was kind of when I went back to my dad and was like, that's why that story about Mike Brown being tied to Team USA was so dope. To yeah, me. man. Yeah, 100%. Mike Brown's doing it. He's doing it. They brought him in to build a program, right? They – Nobody's going to have the talent pool to pull from, from like, the USA. Right. That's just – that's what it's going to be. A majority of the best best players still come up through that pipeline and are still going to wear that American jersey. So, the other countries that have had success against the United States in international play, they do it a little differently. It's not just pulling guys and throwing something together over the span of a month. It's cohesiveness. It's cohesion. It's guys playing together start when they're 14, 15, right. 16. It's the same group on a national team – for 10-plus years. I think Spain is a great example of that. Again, Argentina is a great example of that. Um, so some of those countries that have, have given the, US, the United States trouble in the past. Mike Brown talked about it. That's what he's trying to do. Let's get young guys in here. Let's let them grow together. Let's build something cohesive. They're not just going to be able to have 100 guys that they or 60 guys they can pick from and pick the 12 and, and, and be able to ask and pick from all types of all-NBA or right. all-star talent. They're going to they're gonna have players. No question about that. But it's going to be a little bit of a different thing. And I think you know, I touched on my story, man. Like, they're ahead of schedule. Yeah. Regardless of what they do in the Olympics, they, they went toe-to-toe with the United States where the United States had all their heavy hitters for the most part. Granted, there's a few guys in the finals, but I don't care. They had Durant. They had Beal. They had Jason Tatum. They had Damian, Damian Lillard, Dame Dollar. They had Draymond Green. They had Absolutely. Bam Adebayo. They had, they had who they needed. And Nigeria won the game. So, I think it's an exhibition game, but that win goes a long way into building a program, not a, not just mm. a, an Olympic team, a program. That's what they want to build. Mike Brown talked about that after the game. He's doing a hell of a job. He's doing one hell of a job already, and he and he deserves his credit, and, and Greg Popovich gave it to him. Definitely. And I think what's so interesting, too, about that is one thing that we haven't spoken about enough with these different countries is – not saying who or not saying he made the right decision, wrong decision, or anything like that, or trying to overanalyze it too much. But Bam Adebayo spoke about being half Nigerian, yeah, and choosing to choosing to play for Team USA. Yeah, and 
that's another thing that these different countries have to worry about and have to kind of that's another fight essentially yeah. for them to kind of steal players away from the for scene. Sure, for sure, for sure. I mean, Bam Adebayo could have played for Nigeria, and the Nigerian Twitter handle was having a little fun. Oh, with they it. had fun with. Yeah, they had some. They fun. D- and <laughs> they Bam, was, and had, Bam fun. had some fun back. I mean, oh, for sure, he, he gets it. Oh, absolutely. And the, and the funny thing is, you 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 already kind of touched on it, but I've told multiple stories here about Bam Adebayo. Um, we mentioned it before with John Collins, and I'm going to just say this and get it out the way. I mentioned before that Sekou Smith Award, God bless the dead, Sekou Smith's um, award for um, – there was the inaugural award this year for um, the player that exhibited the most, like um, – I'm not trying to, like, quote it exactly, but exhibited the most um, character yeah. when dealing with the media. Yeah. John Collins won it yeah. this year, the inaugural one. And my only question was, is that limited to Atlanta? Because if it's not, Bam Adebayo is going to get it soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. DeAndre Ayton is going to get it soon. 100%. Certain players that if, if you've interacted with them, it's just like, they got oh. They some personality they, and they're not afraid to show it. And, they, you know, they, 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 know, they know what it's about. Speaking about some, some attitude and, and trying to know what it's about, we've talked about championship or bust for this particular team. Um, and we're actually, like I said, we're, we're going to end this show with this last 20 minutes on this. Um, and I think this is actually a, bur- a perfect time to give you guys another update on the Aviators. The Aviators still hold a double-digit lead, 13-3 to here in the bottom of the seventh. And, again, they are playing the first-place Reno Aces in Reno. Um, let's talk about the Aces. Yeah, let's do it. I don't want to start this morning. Yeah. Because we have to address what just took place this past week. Sure. Um, you and me spoke at both games and after both games, before both games, uh, the Las Vegas Aces lost back-to-back games for the first time this year. And as much as we talked about the Golden, uh, the Golden Knights and we talked about kind of even when they had their lows during the season, we didn't, we didn't really bat our eyes too much. We were like, come postseason, they're going to be there. Yeah. I kind of feel the exact same way with this team. No question. However, one thing stood out to me about Bill Lambeer's uh, post-game press conference, I believe it was after the second game against Minnesota, second game of the week. Or I should say, yeah, second game of the week. And there was, he was speaking, Kelsey Plum did the exact same thing, speaking about the mental and physical fatigue that this team is feeling from the travel, from the schedule, from everything. Of course, Kelsey Plum played in the uh, Olympic trials for the three-on-three. You asked me something in that moment, and you, we were talking about it, and you said, is that an excuse? And my response to you was it shouldn't be. No, I don't think it is. I, I think it's the reality, right? It's the reality. But it's something that every team's dealing with right. is, is a condensed schedule. And, you know, credit the Aces for – Snapping out of it today, I thought they they put forth a very 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 spirited effort Definitely. in blowing out the Dallas Wings. But yeah, man, that Friday night game was the worst the Aces have looked all year, and it's it's a long year. You're gonna have clunkers, you're gonna have duds. Um, one thing I've noticed, and and like you said, I feel the exact same way. I think the Aces are are the best team in the league, uh, top to bottom, uh, and I expect them to be competing for a championship when when the time comes um, it, it, towards the end of the season. Obviously, there's a month break because of the Olympics, but. They pick things up in August, and you expect them to build towards uh, towards their goal of a championship. I, I there's I haven't seen anything to dissuade me from that opinion. If if anything, I've only grown stronger with that opinion. There's they're they're deep. They 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 know who their top seven or eight players mm-hmm. are. 
They can play big lineups. They can go small. They have flexibility. You have multiple ball handlers. You have two post players that can get you 30 on any given night. You have a uh, great point guard play with Chelsea Gray. You have wing defenders, Raquana Williams, Jackie Young, De'Erica Hamby, uh, Kelsey Plum, the best bench in the league. Yep. Uh, there there aren't, aren't a lot of holes on this roster. So, I, I, again, I think, I think they have been fantastic um, all season, 15-6. and six, I asked Bill Lambeer today, where do you think you guys are going to be? Are you at where you expected? He said – He's the the right. He's very pleased with the record. Um, thinks it could have even you know. We'll take it. Fifteen and six. Right. Thought it, it could have been worse. He says he said it could have been better, but it could have been worse. And he's right because there were games that they were able to win that that were coin flips uh, down the stretch. There's one. There's only one concern I have um, with the Aces, and okay. it's more, it's more of a stylistic thing. Okay. Certain teams. One thing I've noticed is that they struggle a little bit with bigs that can space the floor. You get a pick and pop big. You get somebody that can pull. Liz Cambage or Asia Wilson out of the paint a little bit and, and spread the floor. And those are the teams that have caused the Aces problems. They've lost twice to Minnesota. Sylvia Files, she doesn't have three-point range, but she has range out to 17 feet. Yep. And consistent range out to 17 feet. They've lost twice to Connecticut. Physical defensive team that matches up well with the Aces and John Quell Jones yep. can shoot the three. She's a 40% three-point shooter. the MVP race. Right, yep. And, and, and can can also bang down low and space, and space the floor. So – those are the – it's not that the Aces can't beat those teams. They, they obviously can. Those were right. close games. But that's the one area where I think that I've seen them struggle the most consistently is that when there's a floor spacing big, things get a little harder on the defensive end. And that's, and that's you know, credit to other teams. Other teams have great players and players that, have, uh, that, that do different things well and, and other teams play different styles of basketball. Obviously, again, I think the Aces um, are the championship favorite, as they should be, but – that, that could present problems in the postseason depending on a matchup. If there's a team that, you know, if there's a Connecticut, if, there's a, if it's a Minnesota, even a Phoenix. We saw Brittany Griner. She can space the floor, too. Uh, she that's where I was going next. We're looking at Phoenix right now. They're down at halftime, excuse me, 44 to 39 to the Seattle Storm. You mentioned the record. You mentioned 15 and 6. The Seattle Storm, regardless of this outcome, currently they are 15 and 5, so they'll either be 16 and 5 or 15 and 6. But they've already secured their slot in the first ever, and I'm assuming this is inaugural, the WNBA Commissioner's Cup. And um, it's obviously something that that the Aces, I'm sure, wanted to participate in. But if you know anything about just from being around Bill Lambeer. It's all about that championship. I don't really care. No. I I wanted to play in it, but I don't really care. It's it's all about the championship. Not not too worried about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So you you mentioned Brittany Griner and, and her ability to pick and pop and how that was deadly for the team. These last two games, the team hasn't played or has played without Liz Cambage. Yeah. Liz Cambage was there against Phoenix. Yeah. Brittany Griner scored 21 of her 33 points in the first half on 75% shooting. Yeah. That was mind-blowing when I typed that stat out in my story. I sat there and I highlighted it and I said, I got to check this again. I mean, Brittany Griner, we know who she is, what she's done. Absolutely. And, again, a lot of those were, I mean. So much so that Draymond Green brought up BG by name during the Team USA, uh, during his media availability the following day. She's got range out to 17, 18 feet, man. And and she'll put it on the ground. She can post. Very, very complete offensive player. And I I, want to give, that wasn't, of course, you take a look at the stats, 33 on Liz Cambage. It's not pretty, right? But Liz Cambage this year, has been awesome, awesome defensively. She, up until last week, I don't exactly know what the numbers were, were now, but had the best individual defensive rating of any player in the league. Uh, her rim protection, her positional defense. Leading her the help, best defensive team in yep, the league. Yep, her help has been unbelievable. But 
Brittany Griner, you know, she's Liz is at her best when she's able to be around the rim, kind of patrol the paint, block and deter shots. Brittany Griner pulls her out a little bit. She, she's a little less comfortable out there, and it's understandable. And, 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 and that we, opens up driving lanes for, for, for guards and wings, and it, 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 it creates a different kind of offensive flow. So the Aces definitely – I mean, they have – the personnel to mitigate that and and you know this is just a regular season you you go through the season to see what kind of matchups you might face what kind of situations you might face so you can prepare accordingly for the playoffs uh, the thing but is that, with Brittany Griner as well too I think for what it's worth I don't know how many people have addressed it have pinpointed it have highlighted the moments but I've watched it for the last two well two seasons that she could Brittany Griner, I'm not going to get into this situation of, oh, she doesn't get up for this person, she doesn't get up for this person. But I think it's hard to argue that Brittany Griner doesn't get up with a little extra mm, when she has to go against Liz Of Cambage. course she does, because that's, that's, it's all about respect. That's, she, Liz Cambay is, is one of the best players in the world, one of the best centers ever, period. She dropped 53 in a game. Bottom we, line. We, like, you watch her play. She can dom- She is capable of dominating on both ends. There's a couple other bigs like that who are capable of that. Brittany Griner is one of them. There's no doubt she relishes the challenge of playing against Liz Cambage and vice versa. They, I mean, they've talked about it, how much they enjoy competing against one another. And it just so happened on that Wednesday that, that Brittany Griner got the, the best of, of Liz Cambage. Most definitely. And then uh, let's kind of leave it. We're going to eventually get to the end of the show. And uh, – Let's try to leave it as current as possible right now. Yeah. You talked about today's game, yep. 95 to 79. <laughs> Salim mentioned, because he didn't, men- he didn't watch uh, the Minnesota game, and he mentioned Asia's stat line. And I looked at him, and I was like, I just did the story. I was like, but read that stat line again? Yeah. And when he read it, I was like, see, I was like, I'm not going to tell you she had a bad game by no means. I said, but as a person that just left the game, I said it kind of didn't matter. I said in this, I said in, I think Asia would be, would hopefully feel respected by me saying that she's gotten to a point to where those numbers don't impress us anymore. And what's so interesting is I looked at today's numbers, the 22 points and the 13 rebounds. And the that's what she's been post. That's yeah. what she's been posting. A- a- and a- you just went to where I was going next. Eight assists is not what you see from Asia typically. Shoot. That may be the switch. Well, I'll tell you what, it was a little different today. No Liz Cambage and Dallas made a commitment to double teaming Asia Wilson. Yeah. What did Asia Wilson do when they double teamed her? She found, an open she found the open person. And her passing out of those situations uh, has, I mean, it's just it's, it's her maturity as a player. It just speaks to her maturity as a player. She's uh, an MVP now. She's going to be 25 uh, coming up next month. She's not a 21-year-old rookie. Right. She's seen pretty much any every kind of defensive coverage, uh, taking her team to the WNBA Finals last year, helping the Aces get there. Uh, this is her fourth year in the league. The pedigree that she has, she's seen it all, and, and she, the it, it really it's clicking. It's all clicking for her. And and one thing I you know about Asia Wilson, she might have a bad game here and there. It happens, right? Absolutely. It happens to the best players. She ain't gonna have two bad games in a row. Uh, I mean, that doesn't, doesn't seem like that happens. I mean, that doesn't happen with her. And you know what? I, I randomly pointed out in the, in the middle of the season too, and I don't know what the number is up to now. But the next time you do your next Aces story, yeah, because I don't know the last time you brought it up either. Figure out the last time Asia had a single point scoring game. A single digit. 51 games in a row. So, yeah, you, so you just brought it up recently. Yeah. I brought it up maybe two weeks ago, and yep. I was like, she, that number, we're gonna, she's going to keep that streak going, I think, for quite some time. And we're going to look back at that number that she's posting, and that's why I said what I said. The 20 and 10, the 20 and 12s, that's who we're going to get man. to expect that from Asia. Oh, no, we already do. I, I understand. We do in Vegas. 
I'm not sure if the rest of the league does, but like like Salim said, I don't see those numbers and get excited anymore. That's no, Asia. It's dog. what she does. Yeah, it's what she does. It's what she does. It's who she is as a player, uh, and that's why she won the MVP. It's why she's you know arguably the best player in the world because you can count on her for that every night. She's gonna be a great teammate. She's gonna play with energy. She's gonna compete the whole time. She's out there on the floor, and you know it wasn't her night on Friday, and it was today. Absolutely. And while they the WNBA announced Asia as the best player in the league last year the, the nba is still actively trying to figure out the best team in the league this year um the phoenix suns are up two on the milwaukee bucks yes i'm gonna counter <laughs> i'm gonna actually be counterproductive to something that i've said in the past a lot and you guys know i'm all about smiling i'm all about uh just being jovial sam you've seen me in moments when it's when it's kind of lockdown mode i'm not the most pleasant to be around in a weird way, I think that Milwaukee needs to be as calm as they are mm -hmm. because it can go hor it can go horribly left if they don't. Well, they've been here before. They were down two nothing to Brooklyn. Phoenix Phoenix did what they're supposed to do. They won their home games. Right. That's they and that's why I keep games. telling people too. You're overreacting. I think about two home games. Yeah, they won their home games. Now Milwaukee's got to hold serve, take care of business on on their home court, and we're gonna see what they do tonight in game three of the NBA Finals that tips off in about an hour on ABC. We'll see what they Absolutely. do. But, but Milwaukee's been really, really good at home in these playoffs. And even though Phoenix kind of controlled the, you know, controlled the whole – has controlled the first two games, let's call it what it was, I don't think Milwaukee played bad in the, the last game. They got the looks they want. They got the shots they wanted. They just didn't go down. And Phoenix hit some daggers. Now, Absolutely. we'll see. Are those daggers going to go down in Milwaukee when you got 20,000 people screaming in support of the Bucks? Maybe. Also – the rest of the world isn't going to ignore a 42-point game from Giannis if it's a win. No, they're not. No, they're not. Gian Giannis, even though he's probably only 75-80%, he has kicked his game into another gear and showing that, you know, all the criticism. Has there ever been a star player, a consensus top three to top five player in the league that's ever been destroyed and savaged and criticized like Giannis is? Maybe we can determine who whose has been worse. I think James got it for a little bit because I was a part of it. Yeah, yeah, but has he got it like, like I mean, they're, they're, the narrative. No, no, people literally say Giannis has no bag, which makes no sense to me. Whatever you're talking about. He's 30 <laughs> and 15 in the playoffs. How the did, whole postseason. No and I, I keep telling people, I hope Giannis runs with that and literally tells people, then don't let me get one. Giannis, because if this is who I am without a bag. Giannis, first off, Giannis, isn't the, he's never going to be Kevin Durant. He's never going to be – you know, we don't expect him to have that kind of bag, but – to say that he can't score, he's limited. Look, he's shown he has a post game, and he's shown that he's developed that little Dirk 12-foot, 13-foot fadeaway that he right. went to over and over again against the Suns in game two. Regardless of his limited skill set, we understand that he has limitations. He is so much better around the basket than anybody else is at doing anything except maybe Steph shooting. Exactly. He's as good around the rim as Steph is shooting threes. Maybe better. It's, it sounds ridiculous. He is no, so, he so, so dominant around the rim. Why isn't he viewed in the prism of a great big or, or something? You know, the, the comp is, I mean, I'm not the first to throw it out there, but why don't we view him like Shaquille O'Neal? Nobody ever criticized Shaq for not being able to shoot. Exactly. That wasn't a problem. Exactly. You knew, because you knew you got 35 and 15 every night in the finals. It wasn't an issue. And for what it's worth, catch Shaq and in, 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 catch early Shaq in Orlando, and you give Shaq about a 12 to 15 footer. Now, and he wouldn't have made that. Cash. Yeah, yeah. That no, might have yeah, been cash. It's out there on YouTube. No, but. Uh, but that aside, Phoenix is a, is a great team. They, they've played more cohesive. They, 
they they know who they are as a team. They know what they need to do in t- in tight pressure situations. You have multiple ball handlers that can run pick and rolls. You have shooters that can space the floor. And you have a big man that's bought into being a big man. They've earned those two victories. All I'm saying is series isn't even close to over. Right. And maybe by the time this hits SoundCloud or the, the podcast version of this is out, maybe, maybe. they're down 3 nothing. But as of right now, all, all Phoenix did was win their home games. Milwaukee gets a chance to win theirs. And as always, man, you, you – you come here and i think now we've gotten to the point that we've lost count and that's a good thing um you've watched the the slow evolution of this you see our filming sign up front now you see we got new mic stands yeah, now, so you don't gotta hold the mic anymore so like i said man we're, we're building something here we're carving something out here and people like you are very very in, uh, influential in that for coming through and, and sharing your time with us we're gonna get out of you guys' hair before the nba final start i know you guys are tired of hearing me Until next time, guys, keep on talking.